Hello, everyone, and welcome to Mike's Gaming Podcast. I'm Mike Gag. And I'm Mike Wu. And uh, welcome to episode three of this amazing podcast. You might uh, have noticed something's a little different with Mike's uh, audio. Mike, why don't you tell him what's going on? Hey, I'm in Seattle right now, uh, uh, taking care of a home that I have here. Uh, When I'm not uh, in Ohio, I have a my house set up here in Seattle, so I'm just here digging up the dirt and having fun gardening. A man and, of the uh, earth. Yeah, man of the earth. <laughs> but I actually have a few, um, hopefully, fun social events with uh, my gaming crew. Uh, you know, the guys I know from, uh, well, mostly from Bungie, but then all the little local startups around here just uh, get caught up. Not necessarily to uh, talk about projects or anything, but just to kind of get uh, caught up and visit each other's kids and stuff. Not that I have kids, but, you know, visit their yeah. kids. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of good uh, arcade bars out there, too. Yes, there are. And pinball, apparently, too. I'm seeing that pop up on my Facebook feed more and more. It's like, damn. It's making a comeback, that's for sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, all right. So, uh this is our episode number three. So in celebration of episode number three, we've put on a, a gaming conference, which we've titled E3, uh, for our right. episode number three. And uh, yeah, so uh, we got a lot to talk about with that. And then we've got a lot to talk about with some other stuff. And uh, yeah, hopefully the audio ends up being okay. It's the first time trying it with this setup here. So hopefully we don't, uh, you know peek out and blow anyone's ears out or anything like that. So the kind of the first topic, I guess, on our list here is something we sort of left off with last time that we had started getting into but didn't really have time for. And we don't necessarily want to go too deep into it this time, but it's this concept of, uh, well, you know, why don't you say it, Mike? Well, it's something that uh, we wanted to uh, clarify in our conversation last week was, what do we mean when we say console gaming? What do we mean if we use the term AAA? I think often we conflate the two, that all console gaming is synonymous with AAA. But I think you and I both know that that's not necessarily the case. Um, right. Certainly in, in my career experience, AAA meant, hey, we've got a substantial budget uh, assigned to us, not just for direct development, but also for support through, um, you know, product quality assurance, uh, through marketing and uh, public relations. We've got all guns blazing. And the reason being is that we believe in the uh, high level of profitability for this project. So there's little risk for us to invest heavily. So let's go all out. Right. I mean, even the term triple A in indie has become really muddled. You know, I, you see nowadays like uh, now I don't th- I don't remember the exact studio. Maybe you might where a, like a big like name brand top shelf studio on Kickstarter, and you're like, why are you on Kickstarter? You're like this uh, high level AAA level company. They're like, no, we're we're indie for this project. You're like, okay, what does that really mean? You know, so and and even on the going as far as consoles you know it used to be that if you were on a console you were triple a because it was expensive to get the dev kits it was expensive to get the licensing it was expensive to do console development and nowadays that's becoming less and less so you know you got your your, your xboxes and your playstations uh more and more open to indie developers they have their own arcades and things like that so really the terms are kind of becoming this I, I, I don't less indicative of what they really mean and more of just sort of like a status badge, I guess. Yeah, I mean, in the olden days, like you were mentioning, uh, uh, like Nintendo's seal of approval, that was a really rigorous certification process. Mm-hmm. I remember the checklist for like the Nintendo 64, which were cartridges. And, um, you know, I know that, uh, well, certainly anybody in their 30s has got to remember what a Nintendo 64 is like. Oh, yeah. You know, one of the, I believe one of the tests for QA was to turn on the game, watch the title screen come up, turn it off, turn it on, turn it off, turn it on, turn it off, mm. and do that a hundred or more times, and then let the game run and see if anything odd happens. See if you jarbled the memory so and all. Imagine you're like, yeah, that's like, geez, Louise, that's like six. I get to do the test basically six six times in a full shift because I have to turn on, mm-hmm. wait, turn off the system like X number of times. And then try to run the game. And only then will I have completed the test. And, you <laughs> and know, that was one step and, in this long list. Yeah, that was one step. And you had to do that yourself. 
And then you release to certification like on the Xbox era, like when we were making uh, all of our Halo games as part of Bungie. You know, even, you know, as a first party, we had to go through certification. And that was no joke. I mean, that's a six-figure uh, right. test that you're saying, Microsoft, go ahead and put us through your battery, and we're going to pay the fee for you guys to go ahead and have your engineers pound on this. But like that, a hundred grand or more, that's the whole budget for an indie game sometimes. So oh, yeah. Right, right, right. You couldn't possibly go through certification. You couldn't fail it more than once. You couldn't even afford to go through it the first time. You couldn't even afford so, to yeah. get the license to even start. Like, Yeah, right. Yeah, the dev kits are like, what, between 10 and 20 grand a pop. Like, yeah. who's going to develop for consoles back then? Right, right. So now, now you can be indie, i.e. we take away the certification, which is, in essence, saying... We're taking away the quality assurance check. So, but they still have that. that you, but it, you they know, still of course. But, but it's, it's less rigorous. You know, it's more automated. Right. Yeah, it is now more expected that oh, you can patch, and we don't charge as much for patches mm-hmm. anymore. Um, so, and you can you push can everything have, out on the internet. And yeah, right. Absolutely. So okay, yeah. so yeah, I mean, just to cover kind of that thing we were talking about. Sort of briefly last time. There's so much you can say on that topic, but um, we've got so much more we want to talk about. So that's probably right. Yeah, let's get to E3. Let's get to E3 episode three. I really appreciated Microsoft (laughs) and Sony putting that together for us. So um, that was really good. So I guess maybe. So I, I, you know, obviously I made this list. I sent it to you. You kind of gave some feedback. So we have our like topic list here, and I really wanted to talk about. This thing first, you can see it's like the first on my E3 list here, which has really nothing to do with video games. Um, and it's this PlayStation View. Uh, and what it is, is, uh, at least from my understanding, I haven't gotten too deep into studying it, but, but it's basically PlayStation's first party TV offering where you can actually, uh, sign up for TV through the PlayStation Network. And it's only available in three cities from my understanding right now, and they're expanding it to two more or whatever. Um, and yeah, so that struck me as really interesting that, that really the entertainment industry is just kind of becoming one thing as opposed, like you used to have the pillars, like there was video games, there was music, there was movies, you know, books and magazines, they were their silos. And now it's just sort of like, hey, I'm going to watch TV in my video games and or on my console, and then I'm going to play a video game about a movie, and then maybe I'll watch a movie about a video game, you know, or see a movie about a comic. And it's really interesting how that's all kind of coming together. Yes. In fact, I think we talked about it at length, and maybe one of the reasons why we ran over time last week was we talked about the idea of convergence, how a console-only ecosystem cannot fare mm-hmm. well in mm-hmm. the future, and that as misguided as Xbox One's uh, rollout was, it was at least trying to uh, understand this convergence of all forms of entertainment media. And Sony was saying, no, we're just a dedicated games uh, machine, and everybody lauded them for that. I think it's interesting in that, well, isn't this exactly what people lambat-blasted uh Xbox One about? It's like, why are you talking about all of this mm-hmm. TV on my Xbox for... I'm not interested in that. I just right. want games. But I think Sony is like, I mean, it's the reality. I cannot support this ecosystem on simply one form of entertainment. As you alluded to, we don't purchase a game anymore. We buy into an intellectual property. Right. We buy into a universe. And I want to experience that universe in shows, in comics, mm-hmm. in games, right. in movies. You want to be inundated. Yeah. 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 What I, so, you know, regardless of your views on Xbox versus PlayStation, because that is about as rabid of a fan base as you can possibly have. Um, besides that, when PlayStation 4 and Xbox One came out, I was of the opinion that the PlayStation 4 was a better console at the time and the Xbox was the better console for two years down the road. Right. So it was like, okay, the PlayStation 4 is coming out strong. But Microsoft is posing, posing themselves to do this ecosystem merger, this, hey, you can be on all this stuff and I can watch TV and I can DVR and I can do all these things, things consumers didn't even necessarily know that they wanted. 
And, you know, there were these people that were like, man, I don't want to watch TV or movies on my console. I just want to play games. And then they would put down their cell phone and pick up a camera and take a picture because they also don't have cell phones that have cameras on them. And realizing that, you know what, people tend to prefer multifaceted devices as opposed to everything is just a singular component. And, yeah, so it's interesting now to see that, okay, this I, the seed is planted and this idea is blossoming and these things are kind of coming together. And it's, it's interesting in the PlayStation View announcement where you can even just get single channels a la carte as opposed to bulk packages. It was kind of like, all right, this is kind of a new thing. I was just saying the other day, why, do, why can't we get a single channel? And now maybe we can. Yeah, that that actually is a really cool feature, and probably uh, you know the future for you to be able to a la carte choose what we want. Um, but I really wish the console makers would take a page out of Apple's playbook and look at that Steve Jobs announcement of the iPhone, where he talks about it's a phone, it's a music player, mm-hmm. um, and it's uh, you know a computer. Like he how he basically sold us on the vision of with this one device i can do so many things right isn't that awesome but gamers for some reason uh balked at that and i don't think they realized you could have a much richer entertainment experience if your console could do more than just plug and play a game yeah and you know i don't care about like the picture and picture stuff i think that's all a bit gimmicky but just the ability to clean out my entire component cabinet of my DVD player, my Blu-ray player, my CD player, my my you know, my DVR, and just put an Xbox there and be like, cool, done, right? Uh, I'm cool with that, and and I think I think it's kind of the way things are going. I could almost see like at some point like just integrated house, <laughs> just like why have a console when you have a house? A house is a game system now, or so you know, like this future where it's just kind of like. Everything's just sort of integrated, and uh, hardware itself is kind of outdated. Yeah, that's definitely what Microsoft is trying to sell us on, right? right. Well, I, mean, I know it's later down on your your list, but uh, Hololens is part of the Windows Ten uh, yep. move. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, your your wall is your screen, like your tabletop is your screen. Yeah. they're just trying to sell us on the idea that computing is no longer tethered to a any particular device it's part of the environment it was an interesting idea we'll see if it works right uh yeah well i mean it it won't work the first time it never does right like they <laughs> no, of course they, not, they no. sell you this bill of goods and you're like oh it's gonna be this and then yeah. uh you know you you open up the bottle of of alcohol and you expect the party to pop out and it doesn't and then you go oh hmm okay maybe not yet but yeah, it uh, could be the next connect right and yeah but you know but that, yeah. but the connect was Again, an interesting kind of tangent for you. The Kinect wasn't a very big change to video games, but it was a huge change for robotics. I mean, never before could you get that type of of, of visual uh, capability out of hardware for that cheap. I mean, I was reading about this, this build your own robot kit, right? And mm-hmm. it was sold by this, this university. And, and what it was, it was just a kit for hobbyists that would allow this, you to build a robot that would navigate around your room or whatever. And before the Kinect, that kit was like in the realm of, of thousands of dollars, maybe even tens of thousands of dollars. I seem to recall a figure of something like 200 and some thousand dollars. And that was probably for like a, an upper echelon of this robot or whatever. And Kinect comes out, right? The Kinect 1.5 or whatever, the one for developers that had the USB interface. And, and it was like, oh, hey, now that kit's like 600 bucks because most of the cost of that kit was in this really expensive optics. And the Kinect was like, hey, just do all that stuff for you. So, you know, while we might laugh and say the Morpheus might be the next Kinect, or not the Morpheus, we'll get to that too, but the HoloLens might be the next Kinect, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It may not be great for video games, but there's... There is something out there. There's something that that's going to revolutionize. And I'm excited to figure out what. But uh, I digress. <laughs> no, good digression. <laughs> I, mean, I never really even, I didn't, I didn't even realize the impact that it had on those lines. Because, um, yeah. yeah, Connect is out for PC. You can use it as like a part of a, uh, of a dev kit for robotics. Yeah, that's yep. really cool. Yeah. And um, again, uh, why gaming is not a waste of time. Because it's, oh, how did you put it one time? Uh, games are is the perfect storm of software. 
And, <laughs> and I know we were just talking about hardware. I don't think I'm that poetic, but maybe. I yes, don't. no, that's what you said. You said it at, at one of our talks. Yeah. You said, in fact, to an audience, you said, um, why write video game software? And you said, uh, because games are the perfect storm of software, that it requires cutting-edge uh, physics simulation, graphic simulation. Oh, um, and input output. Yeah, was that the talk in Cleveland when I forgot to take my meds? <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah. wasn't it? Well, yeah, 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 I think so. Well, we had to find the parking lot, and it was like this weird That's, parking lot. Yeah. And they had a whole bunch of free beer and pizza. It I'm was pretty really sure good. I came off and of the And they gave us a fountain pen. Yes, yes, that one. <laughs> Fair. Okay, moving on. Um, <laughs> um, okay, so kind of, I don't know, maybe I'll just jump around. I have a lot of points in this yeah. list, and I kind of want to jump around it and You'll feel free to chime in yourself. I don't, I don't have to be the only one that can call out topics here, but mm-hmm. one of the things, so I don't know, how much of, uh, of E3 have you watched? I have watched, uh, via some of the gaming sites, like the six minute summaries mm-hmm. of like the Ubisoft and the Microsoft, a little bit of the EA, mostly the catch, um, unravel. Yeah. And, uh, so you probably watched the exact show. same stuff that I did. I did not watch. Yeah. E3 because I almost never do. Mostly I just wait for like the goods, the cream to, you know, sort of filter to the top that I can just yes. look at and go, okay. Um, and you know, really, I wasn't watching any of the E3 stuff, reading any of the E3 stuff for the games. Because you know what? All right, I get it. Good games are going to come out. I'm going to have fun with them. They're going to be awesome. Whatever. Sure, that's, I don't care about really, right? What I'm more interested in are these unique like hardwares and services and the things that are going to affect the industry as opposed to just like, oh, hey, there's a new Call of Duty coming out. I, I could have guessed that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but out of all these games, so I, I'm just going to kind of sum up all the games together because out of all the games, what I've really noticed is a really, really heavy focus on exclusivity uh, and how many remakes uh, – and Final Fantasy VII, I'm talking about you. Um, and how many sequels versus new IPs? And uh, I found it just really interesting that that you know exclusivity was such a big deal, and then further on, you know, these remakes and stuff like that, as opposed to new content. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So I, the way I see it, you know, day zero and day one of E3 are about the platform holders. So we're talking about Microsoft, Nintendo, and Sony, uh, and then the large third-party publishers, like, like I mentioned, uh, Ubisoft and EA. They are probably going to talk about their AAA efforts mm-hmm. first and foremost, because those are the ones where they've put the most on the line and they have the most potential benefit to reap. So they want to talk about those big bets mm-hmm. and those tend to be things that people are already familiar with. They know for sure that they can get 6 million in sales, but if they have a great E3, they're going to push that up to 12. So those are the ones that we're going to see a lot of. There may be quite a bit of indie stuff in the pipe, but they're not going to talk about it because Mm -hmm. it's going to steal the thunder of the big bet. Well, I'm not even necessarily talking about AAA versus indie so Mm -hmm. much as why not AAA new IPs? And I I kind Mm -hmm. of already know. I'm just sort of just like throwing it Mm -hmm. out there. I kind of already know the answer, but... As a, as a conversation topic anyway, um, you know, do you ever feel slighted that was like, hey, where's the new stuff? Like I get it, Halo 5, cool, Call of Duty, Black Ops 3, all right, whatever. Um, you know, th- all these sequels, these remakes, you know, Shenmue 3, all right, sure. But like where's my new stuff? Yeah, I think if you're going to introduce a new IP, you're going to do it with the new console generation. Yeah. Isn't that when we saw a lot of – new ip announced was the uh launch year of xbox one and ps4 because the install base is relatively low yeah uh and there's an even playing field we're all gonna suck even call of duty is had to write a new engine for xbox one and ps4 Mm -hmm. and we had to write a new engine for our new ip so we're all on the same technical basis versus like yeah we're three years into this console generation uh you know infinity ward has made three games with this their engine already it's super enhanced and polished so and you're we're just gonna, gonna get massacred with a rust yeah we're gonna get massacred hmm. people are less interested in taking a gamble on a new ip as a consumer and as a creator uh in the middle of a console generation and we're also 
talking about consoles. And this is, again, there is some certification process to go through. Right. There are dev kits to get through. It's not like you just dev uh, on your PC and then boom, I made a build and I'm looking at the final product. No, you have to prop that over to your uh, dev kit and you have to have a high def TV and oh, it better be color calibrated and maybe you need to have a bank of those. So again, oh boy, it's going to be these uh, risk-taking indies who can work on original IP are not going to be working on these console games. Generally, they're going to be more likely uh, on PC in some right. form. And the console platform holders, therefore, are not going to talk about you because you're not on their platform. Right. So I guess that kind of sort of brings us back to the concept. Okay, so, okay, that's maybe why people aren't f- real comfortable with new IPs. Though we did see a few, right? So Firewatch uh, was shown... And I've been following that game pretty closely. I got a chance to meet the devs, and the game looks awesome. Um, and a couple other new IPs that I was like, okay, that that looks pretty sweet. Um, I, I missed that one. Could you talk about it real oh, quick? Oh, sure. Firewatch, um, it's kind of a – well, there's only so much I'm allowed to say. But because uh, I, I didn't – I haven't seen all their gameplay footage, so I don't know how much everyone mm. else knows. But I will say that it's uh, – uh, you you play – it's a narrative-driven story. You play as a guy who's a member of a Firewatch, uh, so making sure there's no wildfires or whatever in Wyoming. Um, and eerie events start taking place, and it's really well-written. The dialogue is really cool, and it has that like really, really tight mixture of feeling a little uneasy but also like laughing because – the guy, the main character is kind of, kind of sarcastic. And it, it, I don't know. Um, that's all I'm really going to say on it. But it was very refreshing, bold color palettes, aesthetically very different. Um, and it's not your just, hey, you're running around with a gun blowing people up or, or whatever. Yeah, you're just some guy, you know? <laughs> and, it, and it was pretty cool. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. As you described it, I remember seeing the teaser stuff. Um, yeah. Maybe it was about a month ago that I saw the teaser. Yeah, that does look cool. I didn't see the E3. Uh, new material, but um, uh, I just saw it briefly it. in a recap video. That's how I knew it was there. But uh, okay. pretty exciting stuff. But all right. So so besides the, the 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 lack of maybe new IP, which I guess is explainable. You know, we obviously it's a money business. You got to do what's what's going to keep you in business. Um, the, the emphasis on exclusivity, and I, I really don't have a problem with exclusivity. Uh, uh, I believe uh, Notch. Uh, the, you know, maker of Minecraft said it best on Twitter, I believe, when someone asked him, like, why Minecraft was exclusive to Microsoft, uh, initially, and he was like, cause they handed me a bag full of money. And, uh, <laughs> exclusivity is, is an interesting option because it allows devs to more comfortably pad their numbers because they're getting supplemented by the platform holders, right? So they're getting paid to be exclusive. Um, so it's good for them, right? Um, and at the same time, it adds value to a platform because you can't get stuff anywhere else. And I'm cool with that. What kind of, kind of annoys me a little bit is when you'll see like, all right, I have this game. It's not an exclusive title. I have this game for all these different platforms. And then this content, this DLC, this one level, this one weapon, this one class is exclusive to a platform because that just means now I can't have ever really the whole experience. You know what I'm You're saying? You're talking about Activision? No, I'm talking about De- Call of Duty. I'm talking about Destiny. Destiny. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's Activision. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's those, right. Those are all Activision. Um, I'm not uh, just talking models. about Destiny. Other other games do that, but that was the right. one Call that had me thinking about it. it. Yeah. Call of Duty just announced it. Their um, DLC will be exclusive to PlayStation 4 initially. And they did that with Soul which, Calibur as well. Okay, yeah. So we had Darth Vader and right, the PC, right. PC and Yoda and, or whatever, yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of cool, I guess, if you're going to say, based on your platform of choice, you get these slightly different things, but it's gimmicky. The thing that just outright sucks and is bad for gamers is I was paid to make this multi-platform game have specific content that's only for this one platform. It's like, why? There's Unless your platform is so performant that you gave me a combat mission type that puts five times more enemies on screen, and the reason why I only get it on this platform is because the other platforms can't can't support it. it. 
I get it. Okay. And that's so cool. And now you're showing why your hardware platform is better than the others. Okay. That's kind of cool, but no one's doing that. They're simply saying, uh, we'll pay for the development of this other content. And we don't, since we're paying for it, we don't want you to port it over to another platform. Right. I know that when we were part of Bungie, we got a lot of special support uh, to help us integrate, for example, with Xbox Live. And we gave them a lot of feedback that we think actually made Xbox Live better. But I guarantee you, if we were a multi-platform title and we said, hey, we really want to exploit Xbox Live. And they said, yeah, but aren't you going to be putting this on PlayStation Network too? And we're like, yeah, we're going to take what we learned from your network and make it part of our experience on PlayStation. They'll be like, "Mm, then we're not going to help you out that much because the last thing we want to do is to send our engineers over, help you out, perfect your uh, networking system or your online system to work with our system. And then you just take all those learnings and leverage it on the competitor. You know, right. they need to have skin in this game too. Well, they're paying so the R&D costs, so they should get the benefits, right? right? Yes. And so I think maybe that's something that consumers and gamers don't realize is that sometimes there's something very concrete that the developer got in exchange for agreeing to make this exclusive. You know, sometimes it's easy to spot like, well, of course, uh, a Connect enabled game is going to be exclusive to the Microsoft systems. But there, there are also uh, times when Microsoft says, we're going to help you financially do this, this thing that you wouldn't do otherwise because it's a, a risk or the return might be minimal. But we think it would uh, make us uh, have something that's unique and compelling for our audience. And since we have a paid for online uh subscription system we want to make sure that we have some of that kind of content so we're going to pay you to do that but we want to make it exclusive right uh, what's interesting now is that it looks like sony is has taken that xbox one or i should say original xbox and xbox 360 strategy of microsoft and they're doing it a lot in particular mm-hmm. with activision well that xbox one the one when it was coming out that was what i noticed like look at all this exclusivity that, that the Xbox has that the PlayStation didn't necessarily have. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it must be a proven strategy because pretty much everyone's adopting it. Now, after, uh, after we wrap this, uh, this particular recording up, I'm going to have you go back and listen to that, that talk or monologue, I guess, that you just gave. Make sure there was no actual sensitive information in there, uh, that we might okay. have to filter out. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I wasn't sure, but so th- for those of you listening at home, if, uh, if up until this point all you heard was elevator music, then we had to uh, redact something. So we shall see. Uh, I just want to make sure. I don't think I slipped. I don't. I don't think so. But it was one of those things. Okay. Was like ah, all right, maybe we'll go back and take a look at that. <laughs> but uh, at any rate, um, yeah, okay. So you know, obviously exclusivity. It's this R and D cost. It adds value to a platform and stuff. Sure, the gamers might suffer. I mean, I can live with it. I can live with not having all of the content. It is, but it does feel like kind of a slap in the face. Um, you know, and I, I would be like, man, I paid 60 bucks for this game. And now because I just based on the lottery have the wrong console, I can't experience all of it. Um, now I won't feel that way because I didn't pay 60 bucks for the game. You gave it to me. But, uh, if I had, <laughs> if I had, I might be a little sore about it. Um, so yeah, I wish the strategy they, they adopted and said was, Hey, look, Sony paid for this content for their subscribers. So they get it all for free. Uh, Microsoft or PC or whatever didn't. So those users have to buy it. They mm-hmm. have to pay us for that, you know, the right to use that content. Right. Uh, but Sony just bought it outright for other users. That would be cool, but they don't, they don't even give you the option to buy yeah. it. Because that wouldn't, that wouldn't recruit, recruit the amount of money that they were talking about anyway. Right. And the whole right. purpose is, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, so exclusivity, what's interesting to me is, is again, like what I've focused on with the C3 is the games, yeah, the games, whatever. Um, but the services and, and, and the, the kind of sort of like hardware and platform announcements. And I tell you what, it really seems like, and, and I'm actually going to steal this opinion from, from another article I read, but I read it and then I was like, yeah, that, that's right. Um, it seems to me that, that Xbox is really not trying to compete with PlayStation so much this E3 and they're instead really competing with 
the PC, right? Because they have things like uh, they've added the backwards compatibility in the Xbox One, uh, your ability to play early release. So like uh, uh, you're able to get like basically beta builds of a game before it's released and play it uh, on the console. Um, just focusing on features. I mean, even the PlayStation uh, focusing on the TV. It's like these platforms are just focusing so much on these features. And, you know, if you think about it, and this is not part of what I read in the article, this is my own unique thought here, so hopefully it's not terrible. Um, if you <laughs> think about it, yeah, if you think about it, it seems like, in my mind anyway, the console owners, right, Sony and Microsoft, have to be looking on the horizon and seeing, like, the dreadnought steamboat uh, on the on the horizon, right? This the the juggernaut of of the PC master race um, in full on war mode uh, with things like Steam releasing uh, the Steambox hardware uh, more of it being coming more available in October um, a set top uh, box so I can basically just get like this fifty dollar piece of hardware hook it up to my TV and my network and stream my games from my PC in another room so I can play out my entire Steam library on my living room TV with a controller. Um, without needing a console, um, things like that, the console owners have to be saying, you know what, we have to add more value to our product or else we're just going to get swallowed up because if both systems just play games, but a console requires me to have the console and Steam says, hey, you can have your PC and then also play on your TV in your living room, that's kind of a no-brainer. So my uh, thought in regard to that very interesting opinion you just shared about the uh, Xbox really being in competition with the PC has to do with the intention Microsoft has to make the Xbox One, the PC, and Windows Phone all one continuous uh, ecosystem. Mm -hmm. That it would be weird to have part of the ecosystem not have backwards compatibility and then another part does or that one part has early access and one part doesn't. Right. So I, th I think that maybe that's uh, where some of that thinking is coming from. Now, do you think these decisions were fueled in any way by the existence of Steam and Origin and, and, and services like that? Or do you think this has been their plan all along? Oh, I definitely think they learned their lessons from, uh, was it called uh, Windows Live or... Uh, Back, this was during the original Xbox and 360, early 360 era maybe, when you could have a Xbox Live-like experience on the PC. In fact, mm. uh, Halo PC and Halo 2 PC were part of that initiative. I don't and remember that, yeah. Okay, so there was, I forget, sorry for the digression. That's all right. There was... Um, it was part of a Microsoft initiative to make uh, a, uh, I guess you could call it an online store. You would have achievements. You could uh, keep tabs of your friends and everything like that, all via this Windows service that mm -hmm. mimicked Xbox Live. And then Steam was all running concurrently and just, you know, took them to school. So I think they are, they're learning from that, saying, hey, our initiative, we could have completely owned I mean, hell, we're the platform owner, mm -hmm. and yet we let Valve come and write uh, <laughs> the rules for how games should be uh, sold and played right. on the PC. And no one thought Steam was going to be successful. Like, honestly, like everyone was just like, ah, it'll blow over. Like, uh, we'll see. And man. Yeah, I, I, I have to admit, I remember thinking the exact same thing. It's like, uh, I remember hearing people talk about, oh, you know, you got to own the pipe. It's all about owning the pipe, not the content on the pipe. And it's funny. I wonder if Valve actually ever had the plan from the beginning. <laughs> they call themselves the Valve because they're saying we are the Valve on the pipe. And oh, by the way, we're the, what powers our pipe is steam. You know, we own and control the pipe. We turn it on and off. That would be some, know. some prognostication there, some foresight, yeah, wouldn't it? I have no idea where the name comes from. <laughs> I don't know if many, yeah. So, you know, we don't have to redact that. That's just BS coming out of my butt. Um, but uh, I wonder Gabe, if did. Gabe Newell was a plumber. And yeah. one day he's like, screw this. I'm starting a game company instead. And then he had a valve and he was just like, done. Valve. <laughs> probably not. That's also probably not true. <laughs> Fair enough. And yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, 
the 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 ground will be shaken when this new Steam hardware comes out. I know I'm planning on buying a bunch of it because I love Steam. I'm a I'm you know I play on the console, but I'm I'm a, I'm a PC master race by heart. I play most of my games on PC, and uh, you know my my wife somehow still likes to be around me, and so she always gets annoyed when I go in the basement to play on my PC. And so the new Steam box means I can sit up on my TV upstairs in the living room and play my PC games, and that sounds all right to me. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how much this shakes things up and how the consoles vie to maintain their, I guess, value. Because you can even, even if you don't have a gaming PC, you can buy a Steam box console for like 600 bucks, 500 bucks. And I mean, that's what the Xbox One came out at. So it's not really that big of a deal. When you buy a game for your Steam box, Will you be able to p- download it on your PCs and yep. play it as well? It's all Steam. Yeah. Yeah. So the, again, there's that idea of convergence. You bought the IP. In this case, it's for uh, in a gaming format. Mm-hmm. And so you have access it regardless of which Steam-enabled device you happen to be on. And the new Steam controller will act as a controller or as a mouse and keyboard as far as the inputs go. So mm-hmm. it can work for either type of game. So. Mm-hmm. You've you've handled the new Steam controller live, haven't you? I have, yeah. Uh, was it as mystical and cool as uh, it it's made out to be? Well, let me back up and say that I handled it possibly several iterations ago. Okay. Um, I, I I did use it, but I don't know what changes have been made to it. Um, I will say that the lack of thumbsticks, right? Because it's this whole. Uh, touch capacitive, com- almost like domes, right? Like almost like a multi-touch screen for your thumbs there is a bit odd. And when I handled it, I, I wasn't exactly playing anything of real substance. So I don't, I can't really speak to its accuracy, but it, it, I did feel like I was missing the thumbsticks, the feedback of knowing when I hit the end and, and that just that little bit of a pull that, that told me kind of which direction I was going innately. Now that's not to say that if I handled it for more than, say, the five minutes I got to touch it, right, that maybe it would just become natural. I, I don't know. And I'd have to imagine they've done their homework. Um, but I got a chance to, to, to handle that one and actually to see a couple of their other prototypes and stuff. And they were they were pretty cool. So I, 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 I'm going to buy one, <laughs> you know, and we'll kind of go from there. But uh, it will be very interesting to see how that kind of affects the industry. And then, uh, any, if you don't have anything to add, we, I guess we can transition to another topic here. Okay, let's transition. Because we have this great segue of the last statement of <laughs> affecting the industry. So let's talk about VR. Um, okay. And so, yeah, so not super big announcements at E3, but it sort of has been building up. And a couple of things at E3. So obviously Morpheus, some stuff was shown with that. Uh, HoloLens, you know, which is Microsoft's new offering. Uh Less virtual reality, more augmented reality with the HoloLens. Um, the Rift, I haven't seen anything about that yet, but, you know, they were at GDC and they were showing some stuff out. Uh, we've got uh, the HTC. Is it the Vive or the Revive? Oh, it's not. <laughs> What's the Hive? The, the Vi- so HTC has this headset uh, uh-huh. called the, I think it's the Vive or it's the Revive. I'm not entirely certain. What it really okay. is, is it's Valve's virtual reality headset. Um, branded HTC because they're the hardware oh, manufacturer. Okay. So if you see that HTC Vive, Revive, whatever, um, that's a that's a Valve offering, and uh, it is pretty cool as well. Um, but uh, so you have all this new VR stuff, and it's interesting that everyone is producing this VR hardware, um, and yet it's not proven in any way, shape, or form. Right? There's no market saturation. There's no. Uh, no real profitability there yet. And so I'm kind of curious what your thoughts on is whether or not that might change the industry or is it a dead end for everybody? Will we look back in 10 years and be like, oh, hey, remember when everyone trying to make VR cool again? Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, a few months ago, uh, we both gave talks at uh, CIA, which is uh, mm-hmm. not the government agency, but the Cleveland in- Institute of Art, where we uh, both have taught. And I gave a talk about the future of the games industry and where students might want to focus their attentions. And one of the topics I touched on was virtual reality and augmented reality. Mm-hmm. So I think if you will call, uh, my opinion is that augmented reality is the stepping stone that we need to master first. 
as designers and consumers, and that will then create a demand for simulating those augmented realities in virtual space, and then virtual reality will take over. But you don't even need augmented reality, and this is just my opinion based off personal experience mm-hmm. as a kid growing up in the home PC revolution, uh, when augmented reality fills a perceived uh, need in business or industry. Uh, I don't know if anybody here watches uh, Mad Men, but... I'm sure someone does. One of the recent seasons, there was... It dealt with the the topic of... Wait a minute, should we say spoilers? Spoilers for anyone uh, listening? Okay. It deals with, yeah, I don't think this would be a spoiler, but it's about the 1960s and it's about the emergence of uh, high technology in the workplace and how it's perceived and uh, how, you know, it comes from a a not so comfortable perspective at first, Mm -hmm. but you're also not really sure, can this even do what we do on our own? I mean, I can just close my eyes and imagine stuff or I can build a model or I can build a 3d environment on a computer screen. Mm -hmm. What does virtual reality bring or augmented reality bring that's so substantially better that I can't already do with a more traditional uh, technique. And I think if we do get to a point where we can say, actually, this thing is super super uh, effective mm-hmm. and it does require this new technology what you're going to see is a general public perception especially a perception of, among parents that if my future generation my children are going to really prosper in the in the new world order and the way the world runs uh, moving forward they need to have access to this technology and mm-hmm. be familiar with it and comfortable with it from early childhood so i'm going to invest in it even if i don't totally get it like my parents totally did not re- need an apple IIe in the house mm-hmm. they had no need for it whatsoever but they perceived that their children would somehow need a computer in the workplace mm-hmm. 30 years later. So they went and spent the big bucks, you know, the equivalent of what would have been 10 to 12 grand on a 8-bit computer mm-hmm. so that their children might have a future in the office place of uh, the 21st century. And they happen to be right. And I wonder if there are going to be a ways of navigating uh vehicles in the future. So it sounds like or, it's not really going to take off until there is a non-gaming real-world application I, for it. That's what I believe. Yeah. I believe that if in order to go travel the world, you need to have a device whispering and superimposing uh, images and sounds into your ear mm-hmm. and eyes so that you can navigate a dangerous world in a very safe manner or what we perceive to be a more safe manner, mm-hmm. or that you can transact your business securely, even though you don't know the culture, the language, or the currency, mm-hmm. then you're everybody's yeah, you need to have your augmented reality holographic computer with you. How you're not gonna go, you know, to wherever in the world and do your mission work without it. Oh, so I better make sure that yeah. I have this. And then once everybody has one of those, and it's also my phone, it's also my gaming device, it's right. also my my, my laptop so, so gaming devices basically. being this luxury really kind of come secondary to this. So I don't know whether it's, it's, it's ripe time or not. Kind of funny how you're talking about, you know, not knowing the area stuff, or having this with your phone, the augmented reality. I do remember the first time that I actually used augmented reality. I believe it was uh, 2007 and I was in the middle of a field um, and I believe I was taking pictures of something. And just in this field, I found a farm and I was just walking around. And I had I had a smartphone. It was like my second smartphone ever. And I had this augmented reality app that I downloaded but never used. And I thought, you know what? I wonder where the closest pizza place is. And so I pulled up the <laughs> augmented reality app. I hit the, the thing and typed in pizza. And, and the camera showed what I was looking at on my screen. So it was like passing through. But as I held it up and moved around, like little dots appeared on the horizons of all these pizza places. And I was like, if I just walk that way for one mile, I will hit a pizza place. And I thought, I am a god. 
I <laughs> now I am become death. Like what? Like how much technology and toil had to be had to be constructed over centuries so that I could stand in a field and find pizza places? And uh, and you're right. I mean, the, this idea of augmented reality, uh, even in a business environment. Like you know, I go to uh, countries all the time where I don't speak the language, right? And how about a device that just says someone's talking to me? I'm just hearing it in my language. Like I'm looking at signs, but reading it in my language, um, which they actually have an app that does that called World Lens that is really cool. Uh, but just to have it in this inclusive package uh, would be really, really neat. Yes, in fact. I think, yeah, imagine the voice is something that you're very familiar with. It could be uh, Cortana, because I know you're going to get a Windows phone for Cortana eventually. I love or, Cortana. Or, X, or Xbox One. Yeah. And use, use her, um, I don't know, what, what is the basis of her technology? Is it cloud? Is she cloud-based? Yeah, she is, isn't she? I have no idea. Well. She's wonderful-based because she's Cortana. <laughs> I believe she's cloud-based. I mean, how else does she grab all that information so quickly? She just knows it. But, yeah, with the benefit <laughs> of the cloud, with the benefit of holographic augmented reality computing, your ability to travel through the world and not waste time, hopefully, if the data is correct, and your understanding of uh, how Cortana is interacting with you is a lot more natural mm-hmm. than... I'm not going to... Um, I'm not trying to badmouth the Apple Maps app, sure. but like it's tough for me. It, I, I was much more familiar with the old Google Maps app that was built into the older generation iPhones. Yeah. But I still find myself wrestling with, I just want to get directions. No, please don't, don't stop. Show, oh, I wish I could see the next turn. I'm sure with holographic computing and with uh, a personal assistant like Cortana or Siri or whomever I end up uh, using five years from now, I'll be able to customize the experience a lot more naturally so that I'm never wrestling with my device to show me the reality the way yeah. I want to see it. Or just imagine presented. seeing the path just projected on the road in front of you based yeah, on the glasses yeah, you're wearing. Yep. I guess it kind of boils yeah. down to, and again, kind of a maybe a tangent or sort of a, a dissolution of the of the topic. We're talking about, you know, we're, this augmented reality, this VR is coming out. People don't really know what to do with it. We don't really know what it's capable of, how it fits in our lives. And that kind of makes me think of the Steam engine in a way to kind of take it back. It, you know, at one point, the Steam engine was like cutting edge technology. And I was reading this article about Steam engines because I don't sleep a lot. And, uh, what I was reading is that, like, people didn't really know how to use the steam engine, right? And a lot of people thought it was stupid. It was really inefficient. They were like, hey, you know, we can just, just pull wagons and, or sailboats or whatever. We've been doing it forever. It'll be fine. And so what happened is they just invested it and installed all these steam engines. And they started using them in industry before they really understood it. And then once it was actually in place, then they studied it and made it way more efficient and way more uh, affordable and way more usable. And so maybe VR is the same way. Maybe we just kind of have to bite the bullet, start using it. And once we do, we will then be able to look back and discover the ways that it can really benefit us. You know, I'd like to take it back to that earlier topic you you mentioned about the Connect, how we as consumers didn't really get it, uh-huh. but because it had to be studied and it had to be scaled and uh, had to be sold at a certain price point, it opened up all these new avenues for robotics, right? a different industry. And I think maybe we need virtual reality and augmented reality to work really well for some other application to the point where it's scaled understood and necessary to the point where we're all like, I need to have that. Just like I didn't need a smartphone that could play games mm-hmm. until I could get email and directions on a phone. And then I wanted those that email and I wanted those directions presented to me faster with more fidelity and, and uh, longer battery life. And then, hey, guess what? Now I can play really cool games on that as See, well. I was the opposite. I would have been the first in line to buy an N-Gage if I had enough money. For me, <laughs> it's gaming first, everything else next. So I buy a phone based on its ability to play games, 
And then I'm just going to go, you know, email is not that important. So if I can only kind of get email, that's fine. As long as I can play my video games, right? So <laughs> I'm well, just... You have to find out who has the big... Who represents the bigger population, right? Right. Is it... People oh, it's definitely you, not me, but still. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe that's why it's, things are working out that way time and time mm-hmm. again. It's, it's people being uh, – If you. it was me, the end gauge wouldn't have failed. But uh, <laughs> so it's obviously you. <laughs> yeah. Right. You have infinite disposable income allocated to – God, uh, I wish. Gaming. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. I guess we can move on then. I don't yeah. – have we reached as a conclusion on that one? I don't yes, know. Yes, we have. I all think right. we, we that one. Or at least uh, – I guess not really a conclusion, but more or less just ran out of things to say about it. I'm all I'm all out of tangents, so it's time We're to like move on. Like a steam on. engine that's run out of water, <laughs> run out of steam by <laughs> Valve. Yeah, and we yeah. bring it back to Valve. Okay, uh, another interesting game I noted here, and and uh, this is one that I know that you'll have some form of uh, stake in or familiarity with. Uh, was uh, Elder Scrolls Legends, and the reason I say that um, you'll have some stake in it, is Elder Scrolls Legends is a Elder Scrolls-based or universe-based card game in the same vein as Hearthstone. And I know you play Hearthstone. Yeah. And so that struck me as like kind of a, huh. I mean, if you have one game, if you have Hearthstone, you've got this one game, you go, okay, that's unique. But you get two games now, and you're like, is this a movement? Like what's happening? Yes, yeah, yes. It's it's uh, a new form. The idea of a card game on the PC, and we, I think we actually saw hints of that in the strategy genre. Oh, back around, gosh, when was Age of Empires three? Oh, I don't know. We'll see. Two thousand two. I don't. I just pulled that number out of nowhere. It might be that early. It was definitely, you know, the 2000s, not the 2010s. Yeah. Um, but in that game, you could earn cards and then you got to create a deck and then you could unleash that deck during your RTS gameplay. Yeah. I don't know if how many people that, you know, I don't know if you played that or I didn't. Who's listening played that. Well, you know, so I mean, was, it, oh, go ahead. It was a really interesting way of customizing um, your game, but it was such an alien concept like cards why am i playing cards in a simulation of little army people well i don't know that i necessarily agree so i mean the obvious counter argument to that is solitaire on the pc it's probably the most popular computer game of all time i stand corrected touche yeah but but i mean even in final fantasy 8 you could build a card deck and there was a little mini game there um like so many games but what i mean specifically is card games that are given value based on the IPs they come from. So Hearthstone is not – I mean Magic the Gathering, I remember playing that on the PC. Magic Magic the Gathering has had so many game offerings where you could like buy games online. I mean they, they have this very same model and I remember thinking who would ever pay money for virtual cards? And I myself was super addicted to Magic the Gathering, uh, the actual physical card game. But I was like no one will ever do this. But then Hearthstone, I've actually spent money on cards in Hearthstone, so I've made, you know, a young version of me very sad and disappointed. Uh, but it's like, I'm not paying money to play this card game. I'm playing, paying money to play this card game based on World of Warcraft, which is another one of my terrible life decisions, um, <laughs> is that game. And so, I won't be playing Elder Scrolls Legends because of the fun card game. I'll be playing it because it's an Elder Scrolls game. You know what I'm saying? Where the, the, yeah, the IP is what gives the game so much value. Yeah, that's an interesting concept and one that I remember encountering for the first time uh, would have been, oh, you know, right around the turn of the millennium. And, and it wasn't the book that was written in the very end of the decade, but it was, I think, maybe mid-90s, this guy named uh, Nick uh, Negroponte wrote a book about becoming digital, that right now, as consumers, we really care about the atoms, like a like the physical card in Magic the Gathering. We mm-hmm. really care about that. Mm-hmm. But that over time, we would realize what makes this card valuable is not the card stock, nor the ink. It's the information that it carries, because if I agree to this rule set and to the ideas that are written onto the card, then the real value is 
can be um, digital. You don't need atoms. What's so that whole magic circle this. imagination? If you just give up the physical cards, you know, you're just basically just you're turning the the physical mechanics over and over to the computer, but you're having the same experience. Yeah. And I think maybe we're at that tipping point. I don't need my music on a CD anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't need my movies on a DVD. And I don't need my card games on cards anymore. I just need to have the idea, access to them um, at at whims, uh, at a whim, I should say. Yeah. I want to have uh, uninterrupted access to my digital goods and services. I think where we have a problem right now is that Hearthstone is not always uninterrupted and available to me at any given time. Yeah. Like they're always updating it. There are sometimes service interruptions. Mm-hmm. And so it can, it's still not. But then perfect. again, even uh, with a physical game, you have to find someone to play with. And that's your interruption, yeah. right? Like, yes, right. I remember and playing Magic the Gathering against myself because none of my friends could play at the time. And it was just like, how sad is that? And right. uh, at least with Hearthstone, I could just like pull up a game, hit play. And stuff like that. What I find so maybe appealing about these card games, uh, I don't know, maybe not appealing. It's not like I'm super addicted to the digital versions like I would be with uh, the physical. I get really addicted to like card games and stuff. What's unique or fun? And I really hope like kind of the industry kind of picks up with this and kind of goes with it. Most games, um, you play it. Like say, okay, you equip a sword and you hit a bad guy and maybe some numbers appear over their head to let you know how much that you hurt them. Maybe they don't and you just assume you hurt them or whatever. But every piece of that, every mechanic involved there is sort of obfuscated from you, right? Like you have a sword, maybe you know how much damage it does, but usually it's a range. You have some attack value, but you don't really know what it is without doing some calculations. You have a strength and a dexterity. Your opponent has some armor. Your weapon might have some armor penetration, which, you know, but all of this stuff, goes into calculating that number and all of that's kind of hidden from you and most of the games like uh, how fast do i fly how far do i jump what's my shield all that's kind of hidden like some of it's exposed but really it's it's not but when you have a card game the mechanic is written in concrete terms on the card like so it's the so completely different uh from saying hey i'm gonna shoot this guy and he's gonna take damage i'm gonna put this card down and it's gonna say when this happens this happens and you gain four of this and there's no gray area there's no arguing that's the mechanic right in your face you know and i think that's kind of refreshing i think what you've pointed out is a really interesting take on the principle of make sure the player is having the fun not the computer Mm -hmm. if the rules are exposed to me I can run through all those calculations and those what ifs on my own. And that's a lot of fun to imagine, oh, I could do it this way or I could do it that way mm-hmm. versus letting the computer say, oh, man, I did all these calculations and I and I did it so efficiently. Wow, I'm amazing. Well, that's the machine, not the player having fun. Yeah. Whereas with these card games, I'm running through, I don't know, maybe a dozen scenarios consistently while I'm waiting for my turn to come up. And I've basically played all these different games in my head. And that, that is a lot of fun. And mm-hmm. so I think you're right. Their content is communication and that you're exposing, uh, in black and white terms to the player, yeah. what each thing means. And it's not like, as you mentioned the other time where you go into a corridor and there's no indication of which way to go. And it's not confusing. It's like, no, this is pretty clear. You know, I, yeah. I, when I don't have fun in Hearthstone is when I interpret a card and I'm pretty sure there's only one way to interpret it and either due to a bug or design flaw or misreading, it uh-huh. doesn't do that. And it really annoys me. But otherwise the game, because they, but you don't make the mistake again, you know. No, no. But it, it, I keep reading that card and saying, like, that says it's going to do this. Why is it doing this other thing? Uh-huh. And then sure enough, they patch it and they realize, no, there was a problem with the way the thing was written or whatever. Yeah, you know, the but wording. Anyways, yeah. yeah. Um, but um, anyways, content is communication. In a card game, it is very consistent. Mm-hmm. They don't generally uh, uh, confuse players. And then, uh, two, they're really allowing you access to the rules of the game so that you can go through the mechanics on your own. And since it's turn-based, you know, it's, you don't have to be making these decisions at hundreds of times per minute. You get to do it at your own pace. And that's a lot of fun. Right. I think you're right in that idea. And in the card game, like you can see, I did this, which caused this, which caused this, which caused that. Right. And, and 
that's definable. I, I had a, uh, a teacher once talk about, uh, uh, rotten fish for dinner, basically. And the idea is that a computer will not necessarily always come, or will not always come up with the same conclusion that you would have come up with. And the idea is like, hey, you're going to ask a computer, I want to eat something good for dinner. What should I have? And the computer's going to do millions of calculations and say, you're going to have rotten fish for dinner. And you think, <laughs> why would I ever do that? But to the computer, well, you would have this, which would lead to this, which would lead to this. And, you know, and eventually it would come to this, absurd to you calculation of rotten fish, right? But to the system, oh, that made complete sense, right? Which is a logical, right. this to this to this to this, you're going to eat this now and it's going to cause this to happen and this to happen and then and eventually you'll be better off for it, right? And you just go, no, I'm not going to do that, right? And so, at least with the card games and stuff, there's that clear definitive decision path and you may not always make the most optimal decision but you get to make unique, unique decisions and your decisions and uh, I think there's something very... Um, fun about that but but anyway i mean we kind of got to talk about design of card games and less about you know the ips themselves but pretty neat stuff and and it's an interesting trend for sure yeah i think the, the to summarize what i think is a fascinating topic and we could talk a lot longer about is digital goods are now completely acceptable even though we have a real world analog um for the same good mm-hmm. um they're just so much more convenient Right. And that did, is there a brand new genre, which is the IP based card game? Yeah. Um, which is interesting. Uh, I think it segues well to one of your other points that we're going to talk about, uh, which is, uh, the emergence of the new genre, the physical toy genre. The well, I actually don't want to jump games. there yet. I don't want to jump because, oh, okay. because the reason, and we'll go real quick over this. I just want to okay. bring it up. So Bethesda owns Elder Scrolls. So there's the Elder Scrolls legend. Bethesda also owning Fallout. And obviously there's the Fallout 4, uh, uh, announcement, but there's also a Fallout mobile game now, right? And so Bethesda's really pushing this mobile counterpart to their mainstream games to leverage the value of their IPs, right? I can't play Fallout right now, so what am I going to do? I'm going to buzz. I'm going to play the Fallout mobile game, right? I can't play Elder Scrolls, so what am I going to do? I'm going to play the Elder Scrolls card game on my iPad or whatever. Um, interesting, and it's really, like, Bethesda's really kind of hit this hard. And to my knowledge, besides Blizzard having done it with Hearthstone, they're, like, the second to really start doing this. Yeah, that is interesting. It's It's going back to that idea of, I'm not buying a specific game on a specific platform. Mm-hmm. I'm buying into your universe. Mm-hmm. And I want to be connected to that universe wherever I am on any device. And they're seeing a gap right now where, well, your phone can't run Elder Scrolls. Your phone can't run Fallout 4. Mm-hmm. But what I can do is hook you up to the universe and give you a compelling experience that right. way. And so if I can get your mind to just fall in love with this place you want to be on it and, you know, and hopefully help me monetize yeah. this IP uh, throughout the day in multiple ways. You'll love the world more than you like any one piece of it. Right, and I right. feel that way about Legend of Zelda, right? Like I'm just in love with the world and so any game, good or bad, I'll play it, right? And they're, they're kind of leveraging this strong branding and stuff. But anyway, that was my second interesting point about that. So now what, on to what you were talking about that I interrupted you. <laughs> Well, I think you segue well into it with your mentioning the love for the Zelda IP. I think Nintendo is waking up to this and saying, like, we have more IP than Blizzard. Yep. Why don't we extend this? And our IPs, we've been making toys and products based off our kid-friendly, family-friendly IPs for more than one generation now. Yeah, they're like, sit on down, whippersnapper. Let us show you how it's done. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So why why don't we enter this market as well? And RIPs can flow from one genre to the other. So Mm -hmm. you can play with Link on Smash Brothers or in a dedicated uh, Legend of Zelda game. And he can unlock certain things and all these other titles. Mm -hmm. And now they are physically going to be able to unlock things in Skylanders, an Activision title. Because I think they're trying to say, if you have a choice of playing Skylanders 
on the Wii U or the PlayStation 4 or the Xbox One, why not play it on the Nintendo platform? Because you can get Nintendo exclusive. Yeah, exclusivity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And And I mean, I I also think they want to make the Amiibos actually worth something because people are buying them a lot. And so far, they don't have a dedicated title. So now they'll be like, look, you can do other things with Amiibos. And so, yeah. Um, And they're uniquely positioned to do that, Nintendo. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a really interesting idea that yeah, just turn the base and now it's unlocked for a different game, yeah, uh, for for a different and experience. This, this, uh, this it's it's a fun counterpoint because we're just talking about card games being this physical thing that we're going digital with, and now we're talking about <laughs> right, digital games right. coming physical. So we've got Amiibos coming to Skylanders, a new Skylanders mm-hmm. game coming out, which I'm excited about because I'm a Skylanders fanboy. I pretend it's for my kids. It's really for me. Um, also, Disney Infinity 3.0. Um, wasn't a huge fan of the first two offerings. I'm definitely going to check out the third one, though, for the, the Star Wars. Um, and the figures look so cool. Um, and then there's this new Lego game, right? That, again, is a physical counterpart. I forget the name of it, but, uh, but basically... Lego it's, Universe or something It's like something that? you put the Legos on the portal or whatever, scans it into right. your game or whatever. So, yeah. like, there, you know, I don't know. This, this physical game... And you're right. It's just more of... Not single, single serving entertainment. I'm not just going to enjoy this one game. I'm going to have my digital come into my physical. I'm going to have my physical go into my digital. I'm going to watch TV on my PlayStation. I'm just going to be the ghost in the shell, the lawnmower man, and then the world will end, I guess. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, and maybe in some ways it's a strange convergence in another form where, hey, Dudes, we can't sell and do debts in the marketing department, sales department. We're not selling enough of these pressed discs. And in order to cut costs on these pressed discs, we've already made the manual black and white. Now we've made the manual digital. Um, we've all settled on the single form factor so that the retailers can charge us less or, or not charge us less, but, um, are asking for, um, fewer concessions or are willing to pay a higher price for the uh, packaged goods. We're making all these cuts, but people still aren't buying the discs. Let's yeah. go digital because they don't perceive value in the pressed disc. Right. But they do see value in a toy, but not just a dedicated toy because I can make all these action figures. And then six months later, they're yeah. at a big lots or at a Tuesday morning or at some discount store. Yeah. But if I converge them and make the digital good and the physical good, uh, tied together, uh, where it's not just a disc that is basically just software, mm-hmm. but it's software and a toy merged into right. one. I mean, if I were now, to, I'm yeah. willing to pay for it again. If I were to come up to you and say, "Hey, would you be interested in paying fifteen dollars, possibly multiple times a week, for a DLC download at fifteen dollars a pop, with which didn't really add any new content? Would you do it?" And the answer is no. Why yeah, 15 bucks for DLC? Are you kidding me? Especially a DLC with no content. Right. Yet no that's what nothing. Skylanders are. They're fifteen dollar DLC. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. You're absolutely right. We've been we've been fooled into thinking about the atom again. Well, it's fifteen dollars, but it, they're atoms. Yeah. And atoms are real mass, so they have to have more value. I haven't been fooled. I like the figures, but <laughs> yeah, right. And, and I, in fact, I'm eyeing. The release for the green Yoshi made out of yarn mm-hmm. for, I don't even have a Wii U. I just want the knit Yoshi. Yeah. So if anybody finds out where they're being sold, let me know because I want to knit Yoshi. <laughs> there you go. Uh, well, I guess we should probably wrap up because we're okay. kind of hitting our timeline there, but cool stuff. Um, all right. So this has been episode three or E3 for short. Of, uh, of Mike's Gaming Podcast. I'm Mike Geig. And I'm Michael Wu. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening, and uh, we will see you next time. Thanks. Yeah, see you guys next time. Bye-bye.